0: Welcome to the Six Degrees of John Keel podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Barbara Fisher. Tonight I'm talking with Alex Matsuo. She is a paranormal investigator. She's an author. She does uh, YouTube videos that are very informative. She's very interested in the ethics of paranormal investigation, which is something that I'm interested in as well. And she just came out with a new book called The Women in the Paranormal. Or something to that effect, um, and she sold out of it at a uh, event this week. So let's let's talk about that because that's that's exciting. Hello, Alex. Hey, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. So you sold out.
1: Yes. How many?
0: How many people were there for that book, or did they hear about it at the event, or? You know, how did they know about it? Or did they just walk up at the table, see it, and grab it?
1: That's a great question. So, I actually did do a pre-order form, so I knew that there were about five people who wanted the book. So I was like, okay, five. Um, this was my first year at Troy Taylor's Haunted America conference, so I didn't really know like how you know big it was going to be. And he sent an email saying, "Hey, make sure you bring lots of stuff. We're expecting about four hundred and fifty attendees." and uh, for me, I, I do track managing for Con Carolinas and I do like the sci-fi geek, um, geek fandom conventions around the area, around Virginia, mm-hmm. North Carolina. And those attendee rates are usually about 1600. So I was like, OK, I sell an average of this many books, maybe 20 or 30 books, you know, throughout the weekend. For that kind of attending number, so I grossly miscalculated that Troy attracts readers. He attracts readers who are interested in paranormal research and um, who are very passionate about the subject. So I brought 25 copies of Women of the Paranormal with me, knowing that 20, you know, five were already spoken for. Um, by the end of the day on Friday, I only had eight copies left. Wow! I was like, uh oh uh oh um well and the other thing was during the opening ceremonies troy did bring up the book he's like oh yeah alex matsuo is here and they just came out with their new book women of the paranormal and so that drove a lot of attention to my table too and um yeah by i would say one o'clock on saturday actually no by noon on saturday i was completely sold out of the book um wow yeah it was uh it it was wild. I I did not expect that. Um, And there were people who came and bought who bought the book who were just asking me like, Oh, what's this about? Um, And as soon as I told them, they were like, Okay, how much is it? And I was like, Oh, yeah, it's this much. It's 20. And um, they were just like, Okay, here's they handed me a $20 bill. And I'm like, Oh, I didn't even have to do like my elevator pitch for the book it was, or I would start it like, Oh, it's about women who played an instrumental role in, you know, the paranormal research and investigation field as we know it today throughout history. And they're like, sold. So that's uh, amazing. It was really cool. Like, that's probably the first time I've I, I haven't had to like, try really hard to sell a book. Um, but it really just spoke volumes to of how this is, I guess this is a book that people have been needing or wanting for quite some time so it really it really addresses um an interest that many people seem to have
0: yeah yeah i mean it is it is it is a unique book because there isn't you know nobody 100 years ago wrote it you know you, you sometimes get oh well that was covered but it's out of print and it needs to be updated so you know a new author comes along it hasn't really all of the information you got from like, I don't know, f- tons of sources, it, it's it's out there. The information exists, but nobody has put it together yeah. until you did. So how, how easy was it to find the information or how hard was it? And where did you find some information that you didn't expect?
1: You know, uh, it's kind of a mixed bag even some of the more famous women in the book trying to find information that maybe wasn't super well known was really difficult um i guess the best example i can think of that would be uh like lorraine warren and rosemary ellen guiley and linda godfrey you know they're more they're more contemporary they just passed away in the last couple years but finding i was trying to find something a bit unique um to go with the book um besides what you would read like in their obituary or what would the traditional, um, biography be because I wanted to at least find a way to frame their story in, in context of their role as women in the paranormal field. Mm -hmm. And, um, Luckily with Rosemary Ellen Giley, I had some wonderful sources. Uh, Her husband was more than happy to chat. John Zaffis also chatted with me. Um, Lisa Crick, uh, Kevin Paul. Uh, They gave me some wonderful insight about Rosemary that maybe not a lot of people knew about. Mm -hmm. Um, I only met Rosemary once. Um, I I regret that there wasn't, there weren't more encounters. Um, Lorraine Warren was actually one of my harder chapters because, uh, i really had to go into newspapers newspapers back in the 60s 70s and 80s to really see like okay what why we know that that the warrens were were they they did make an impact regardless of how people feel about them they did make an impact and i went and i wanted to go back to the origins of like why did why were they so impactful and I found some really interesting things about Lorraine, um, in the newspaper articles that I think not a lot of people really have thought about. Um, and that's her role as a woman in a, in a male female duo who really made themselves known for a certain subject and how Lorraine was treated by the press as a woman versus how Ed was treated as a man. So, and that's something that a lot of people don't talk about. I don't think anyone talks about it. Um, Now, when it came to some of the other women in the book, um, really what I started doing was I started reading um, at uh, Society for Psychical Research, I started reading their proceedings, um, Mm -hmm. journals, publications. And essentially what I did was I just looked for the female names in the table of contents. That's how I started. And then I just went from there. Or I would start with uh, Eleanor Sidgwick was actually a major starting point for me because she did work with other women in SPR. Mm -hmm. So it kind of turned into this branching tree of that name looks interesting. I should look up and see what what she's up to. Oh, okay, She actually did something pretty amazing here at SPR. Um, And. Yeah, really, I was just, I I just, I hit Google, I hit, you know, SPR. Um, I think my breakthrough was that really opened up the floodgates of why there's going to be a volume two, and possibly a volume three, and where I found all these names was, I got my reader card at the Library of Congress. um, And Uh I I only live 15 minutes away from the Library of Congress, more like 30 minutes with if I take public transit, traffic, traffic yeah. and public transit and everything, but um, it didn't occur to me that I'm like, oh wait, I can just I can go like I can I can go there. I yeah. can't che- I can't check anything out and take it home with me, but I can go and sit and go through things and so i made a research appointment and i put in the you know you you have to explain exactly what are you researching and what kind of resources are you looking for and i typed in something to the effect of i don't know how often you run into this but i am looking for female parasite i i specifically use the word parapsychologists Mm -hmm. um because you know you got to be careful with paranormal ghost stuff with yeah places like this because you don't want to inadvertently get yourself shut out right um, so i said i'm looking for female parapsychologists and psychical researchers uh if you have anything earlier than 18th 18th century or 19th century that would be fantastic if not i'll take pretty much any resources you have um with this and this is kind of the framework i'm looking at um using katherine Crow as kind of like the the baseline and uh when i showed up for my research appointment i requested maybe three or four resources that i thought were interesting the librarians at the library of congress bless them i will sing their praises until like for for the next millennium um they they had like 20 books for me and they're like we've never really done this before and this was really interesting and like here's here's some more resources and i'm like so I found so many. They gave me like a lot of like out of print encyclopedias that had um, different experiments, parapsychology experiments, psychical research, and they basically you know did tabs on like, hey, look at this page, this page, this page, and it was that's that's why now I have fifty women waiting in the wings for that's you know amazing. future volumes. Yeah, ooh. it's 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 amazing. I started with twelve, Barbara. I started with twelve. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I know that's what you told me a few months ago. So, ah, it's twelve, you know. But now, ooh.
1: yeah, volume one has technically 38. It's 37. But one of them is an honorable mention, because I couldn't verify whether or not the incident had actually taken place. But I was like, this is still an interesting story that's tied with a woman uh, for critical thinking and being an investigator. And I'm like, this is really interesting that this is linked to this female. I want to keep it in anyway. Um, yeah. 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 So, and I and obviously the n- the number's kind of weird. It's not like a clean thirty five. It's because I couldn't choose. <laughs>
0: I couldn't yeah. choose like who to yeah. cut. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Uh, Morgana is going to be thrilled to hear about the uh, the Library of Congress and the yeah. research librarians there because that's that's what she's aiming towards as being a research librarian and help people with with uh, amazing resources. So she'll be thrilled. She's she's starting work at the OU Research Library in a couple of weeks. So, oh, nice. and then she's getting her master's in library science. So someday maybe you will, you know, have I'll a, run
1: into more guys. I know yeah. you'll
0: have a familiar face to go. Oh, I need, I need, I need that stuff about the seventeenth century witch thing that I was talking to you about last time. And she'll yeah. be
1: like, "Yes, I know yeah. where it is." Morgana's like, oh, it's Alex.
0: I know exactly what she needs. <laughs> yeah, uh, okay. Here's 15 books for you. I've got 30 more. Just hold on. I can only carry so many. Yeah, that's just great. And it's it's great that you are looking at the Society for Psychical Research because that's that's a huge organization and it has you know it it started in in britain and now there's also a branch in the united states and they just were very methodical about keeping track of who was doing what Mm -hmm. when where and why and some of the people who were really instrumental in keeping track of who where and what and why were women Mm -hmm. and keeping all of that straight like eleanor sedgwick is, I've, I think of her as just as important as any of the men, if not more important than some of the men.
1: Yeah, um, especially after Edmund Gurney took his own life. I mean, the the rest of them, Henry, um, Frederick, Myers, uh, they, were, they were inconsolable, and they were not able to continue with their duties with SPR for quite a significant amount of time because, you know, they were mourning. It makes sense. Um, but Eleanor really she even even without the tragedy she carried spr um and i will that's that's the hill i will die on um she truly carried spr um she's the one she was the one keeping track of the books um data logging um the business side of it making sure the bills were paid and still making significant contributions to the proceedings, uh, proceedings, publication, meetings, um, critical thinking, like she didn't say much. She was an introvert. She did not say much. She didn't speak unless she was asked to speak like publicly. Um, but man, when she spoke, when she did speak, she commanded a room, absolutely mm-hmm. commanded a room. Like, if she said a word like the room would stop and you listen. So that, that just tells you just how much she was admired, respected. Um, but yeah, I mean, she is, she was, she was incredible and, um, it breaks my heart though sometimes that she was referred to as Mrs. Henry Sidgwick for a lot of the beginnings of it. But then I noticed as time progressed, she did kind of get her own autonomy there and it was, Mm -hmm. you know, Eleanor Sidgwick, um, eventually but it and that was another thing that made research very hard sometimes it was the mrs husband's name and i'm like
0: nah. yeah yeah <laughs> yeah the the old style of of not even giving the woman's first name
1: Mm-hmm. you know yeah, that, it's if- interesting in lorraine warren's father's biography she's mrs warren miney which is ed's legal name by the way just to say but i, I was like wow even in her own father's obituary she did not have her own name.
0: Like, yeah. Nah. A lot of that has to do with the uh, newspaper style, newspaper style manuals. And I remember, let's see, I went into journalism in the eighties and they had just started changing over from, you know, Mrs. Man's name, man's last name, maybe man's second last name, mm-hmm. you know, And and maybe, you know, a designation like the third, but mm-hmm. never her own name. You know, yep. it's like you you wouldn't have to put all that mess in the back if you just gave her name. It's <laughs> ridiculous. Um, so I, I do remember I, there was one older professor who said that, you know, it was stupid that they'd waited this long to give women their actual names. He, he said, you know, on birth certificates, the mother's maiden name is given as it should be because otherwise you can't trace who's who and where he said, so we should have followed that sort of uh, angle when we mm-hmm. identify people. But no, yep. we, we couldn't because that was not how things were done.
1: Oh my goodness.
0: <laughs> so it was a terrible, terrible time. Um, who was your favorite to find out about?
1: Oh my goodness. You know, it had to be Radcliffe Hall and Una Trowbridge.
0: That was amazing. That's a that's a beautiful
1: story. Yeah. That one, uh you know I had I was familiar with Radcliffe's name. Um I read The Well of Loneliness in college, uh, when I was exploring my own sense of identity and who I was. And um so I recognized the name, but because it was like 15 ish years ago i was like "Mm, radcliffe hall okay but the name that stood out to me was una trowbridge i'm like that's definitely a woman's name and then i'm reading i'm reading the um i'm reading the investigation that they did in proceedings of spr with gladys osborne leonard and i was like oh this is really interesting and then of course i go to google and i see radcliffe's picture and i'm like holy cow it's a woman oh wait no it's a man okay there's a whole thing about radcliffe's hall uh radcliffe hall's uh identity gender identity and i'm like okay so how do i then i'm like well how do i address this too um Mm -hmm. i stuck i stuck with the conventional like like how radcliffe was addressed when when um when she was alive um she did go by she her pronouns um she identified as a man trapped in a woman's body but you know, dressed dressed as dressed as a man. Um, sometimes wore skirts. Um, there's a whole. I mean, gosh, Radcliffe Hall's story is just such a important piece of history of trans history that I think is worth exploring. But um, so I put in a footnote in the chapter about why I use the she/her pronouns because um, even Una Trowbridge, who wrote Radcliffe's autobiography, um, used she/her pronouns. So. Mm-hmm. And pronouns weren't, you know, a huge big thing in the early 1900s, anyway. But had Radcliffe been alive today, things may be different. But um, that that whole story was also very quite wild. Um, the whole reasoning why they got into um, psychical research mainly it was spiritualism. Was where that's where a lot of parapsychologists start off. By the way, is spirit back then mm-hmm. was spiritualism, um, mm-hmm. and of course the. I don't know if I want to call it a love triangle, but I guess it was a love triangle. Yeah, it, um, it was. It was. Um, you know, Radcliffe Hall was in a relationship with a woman named Mabel Batten, um, also called Lady. Um, Mabel Batten was a few a few decades older than Radcliffe. Um, you know, Mabel had was married, had children, had I know had at least one child um, passed away, but during like towards the end of Mabel's life, you know, Radcliffe meets Una who Una Trowbridge who is Mabel's cousin may or may not have started a relationship with Una while Mabel was still breathing um and of course Mabel passes away um and then suddenly it seems uh, suddenly it seems that through a weird chain of events um somebody writes to Radcliffe Hall and says hey you should check out Una or you should check out Gladys Osborne Leonard you should do an investigation Um, but of course Radcliffe and Una start getting into spiritualism you know trying to make contact with the other side Radcliffe Hall was raised Catholic and ended up getting on the bad side of the Catholic Church not because they you know she was a lesbian or she was dressed in men's clothing it was because of the spiritualism (laughs) (laughs) which I thought was interesting. (laughs) I'm like, like, wait a second, hang on, hang on here. Um, but yeah, but it seemed that maybe mourning, maybe also sense of guilt, but, um, essentially these conversations, these sittings with Gladys Osborne Leonard were truly driven by the possibility that Radcliffe and Una had made contact with Mabel Batten in the afterlife. Mm -hmm. Um, i fat i found when i was reading the whole thing it was just it was very moving um they were also very methodical and detailed with how they were collecting the data Mm um anytime that they met with gladys osborne leonard it was just it was just one of them and then the other one would be taking notes and literally writing verbatim how the conversation was going um florence barrett had a very similar encounter with gladys osborne leonard in the same way And i'm thinking i can barely keep up with myself when i'm writing or listening to conversations i can't imagine how they were able to to keep track of the conversations and keep those and have those logs like verbatim um logs which is amazing but that was a that was a surprise for me um finding them especially when you look at lgbt history in britain um, especially in the early 1900s and um and granted radcliffe hall was also exceptionally wealthy um that's actually the whole reason why she went in the direction she did because she didn't have to get married to depend she didn't have to depend on a man for financial dependency she could pretty much do what she wanted um but even so you know that comes with its share of oppression but it seemed that spr became like this this whole thing i mean spr has a lot of queer history that i discovered in this research um, that may or may not be inspiring another book um but but ed or not ebinger it was oliver lodge it was all oliver, oliver lodge who encouraged radcliffe and una to write this down and to present it to spr um, radcliffe and una became council members of spr and actually became one of their one of their like primary researchers which i'm sitting here I'm like i never knew this i had no idea this was the case and um, and when I've told other people about it, they're like, I had no idea. So it's one of those things where this was a, it was a delightful discovery. That's why I've, uh, anytime anyone asks me what my favorites were, it's, it's Radcliffe Hall and Una Trowbridge. It was just, a, it was a delightful discovery.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I've always had it in the back of my head that, um, people who are liminal in society who are, you know, either uh marginalized by society itself or they just don't fit in with society's expectations so they sort of hang out at the edges well paranormal activity also hangs out at the edges you Mm -hmm. know it's it's also liminal and i've always felt like there was there was a connection there that that you had a a fertile field where liminal people meet liminal you know spiritual activity mm-hmm. and and it it just seems to blossom and create all sorts of energy and spiritualism is very very interesting people i i don't know if people today don't realize how big of a a a deal spiritualism was in the 19th century um it wasn't just you know quote unquote flaky people you know it, they there were a lot of very well respected uh spiritualists who you know worked with the public and and did all sorts of useful useful um grief counseling i would say yeah i think um and and that's that's fascinating but they it, that wasn't all that they did um they also were you know speaking out about societal problems and there was a lot of overlap with the suffragette movement with the women's right move rights movement when it wasn't just about voting rights but also okay. about you know women's bodily autonomy, women's financial autonomy you know all of that there's there's this big overlap with that there's a big overlap with abolitionists mm-hmm. in the United States uh, and it's it's almost as if if we if we believe that we have the freedom to speak to the dead and the dead counsel us then we should also, all humans should be free, basically, was mm-hmm. kind of the feeling. How many spiritualists do you have in that book? And how many of them also spoke on other topics besides spiritualism and, and the paranormal?
1: Oh, that's a great question. Yeah, I would say to combine the two that spiritualists and speaking out, I'd say probably about five or six. Mm-hmm. But one of them that really stands out to me is Oxa, OXA White Sprague um who really you know we could go into a whole thing of like gender studies with um (laughs) with with this but uh she really used her she was one of the most famous spiritualists um in america at the time um and she really used her platform to speak on the abolitionist movement speaking in support of women's rights but it was through spirit it wasn't technically her voice speaking out it was the spirit speaking out um but yeah like you mentioned this was a very common thing and it seems like spiritualism became like this uh what's this what's the word i'm looking for became this uh like modality for civil rights Mm -hmm. that gave women a voice so to speak um Although I did find it interesting, and you and, and you edited the book, so I mean you saw this a few times. But you know, there would be one of the spiritualists, the women who would write a book, but then it's like, oh no, it wasn't them who wrote the book. They shouldn't get credit. It was the spirit that wrote the book. And I'm like, well, okay. <laughs> just like okay. But I'm they- sure she at least read it
0: and edited it a little bit, so <laughs> the spirit, you know, doesn't get all the credit. I'm sorry, no.
1: Right. 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 So it's like one of those things where, I don't know, I still, I found that interesting that, you know, even when one of these, you know, spiritualists would do something amazing, like write a book, it was, oh, you know, not still discounting their efforts mm-hmm. at the end. And I'm like, well, if this is not a testament to 19th and 20th century, uh, late you know, women, that's, I don't know what else what is. Yeah.
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, uh, what i've what I really found interesting and and yes i did I did edit the book um so i I got to see some of these you know women coming along in the story, and it was a lot of fun uh because I hadn't heard of all of them, and uh there were some surprises in there for me as well uh one of my favorite women to talk about, not because I agree with with her ideas but because as i've said for years she has her finger in every paranormal pie that exists in the 21st century and i mean that i mean you know ufos mm-hmm. and and even cryptozoology there's there's bits and pieces of her philosophy in there and that's uh helena blavatsky uh yes she she People don't recognize that, you know, she's back in the background of kind of everything.
1: She really is. Like it's, she really is. <laughs>
0: yeah, it's it's kind of amazing. The uh, ne- modern neo-paganism, modern witchcraft, ghost hunting, ghost theory, uh, fairy sightings, fairy theory, Uh, Like I said, UFOs, the ideas about the Space Brothers and uh, UFO contactees, a lot of that just goes right back to theosophy. And theosophy still exists. That's the other thing. It didn't just, you know, disappear when she died. It still exists as a belief system. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's still people who, who, you know, publish her works and and work through her philosophy as well.
1: But it's in everything.
0: It, it, it's everywhere.
1: Yeah. It's like, yeah.
0: You know, even if I don't agree with her and I don't really jibe with what she says and all of her philosophy, I'm fascinated that this one woman just sort of shot out these ideas into the world and they were just put right in, the ideas of other things, other people's ideas. They picked it up like, like a magpie, you know, that's, oh, it's shiny. I'm gonna put that in my new philosophy over here. Oh, I, I, hey, I'm Gerald Gardner. I'm gonna create Wicca. Okay, I, I'm gonna, hey, theosophy, I'm gonna pull this over here and I'm gonna put that in there. Everywhere, everywhere, up to the, as I said, the early contactees of the 1950s. And I don't know what to do with that. Because I feel like I say it in people that don't know the deep history, which most people I understand. I don't think that they should necessarily know these things. Um, it's it's just, you know, I feel like it, they're looking at me going, but why should I care? <laughs> why, why should I care? So why should people care what all of these women did, but we didn't know about them?
1: They should care because they laid the bricks that created that create the foundation of what we're doing today. And their legacies build on top of each other too. Like Hel- um, Helena Blavatsky, I can't tell you how many t- more, how how many more times I typed her name in, in later chapters with uh, about other women like Alexandra David Neal, mm-hmm. uh, she and Dion Fortune, um, there are countless other women who were also inspired by her and created something amazing as well. Um, it was just really interesting to see like how like they all connected with each other, whether it was direct or family members. Um, I found some really wild connections in there. I'm like, Oh wait, this is this person's grand grandfather who did this to one of the women. Holy cow. Like it's like, wait a second. Yeah. Um, like an example of that would be uh, Robert Chambers, who was Catherine Crow's neighbor um, during the infamous Stark Mad and Stark Naked incident, who claimed to see her. His granddaughter, Violet Tweeddale, either daughter or granddaughter, I can't remember quite the exact span of time in that, but Violet Tweeddale ended up um, writing books about her own paranormal experiences. She went on paranormal investigations with her father and her psychic experiences. But I'm like, wait a second. Wait, her father and grandfather, they're chambers and they're from Edinburgh. Is this the same? Oh my gosh. It's the same person. <laughs> you know, it's the, yeah, yeah. what, <laughs> you know, it's they, they they all have like some kind of connection with each other. But uh, I would say the most common thread was Helena Blavatsky. Um, a lot of you're right. What we do today goes back to her. And um, it, we, we, we should care because these women, did just as much work as the more famous men of history they should get just as much attention if not more I mean a lot of and a lot a lot of these women in this book had male contemporaries who ended up being more famous yes you know Dion Fortune Aleister Crowley yep Ada Goodrich Freer Harry Price Catherine Crow. Charles Dickens. You know, yep. there's yep. there's so many women who had these male contemporaries who ended up becoming more famous and it wasn't a one-off. I mean, people say, "Well, Harry Price had Borley Rectory." It was actually Tim Price who said this. "Harry Price had Borley Rectory, Ada Goodrich Fear had Balachin House." And when you look it up, it's like, "Oh, dang. She was pretty much kind of doing the same thing as Harry Price, but we don't know that name very well." Right. If you're in the, if you're deep in the psychical research and parapsychology circle, you probably know that name, but typical paranormal investigator wouldn't be able to name her, but they can name Harry Price.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's well, it's, it's the, it's just the preference in history for the work that male, you know, investigators, authors, uh, historians you know, I mean who's typically a historian you know in the 19th century it was men so yeah who wrote the newspapers typ- typically it was men you yep. know the the only 19th century early 20th century um female journalist i can name off the top of my head like fast as anything is Nellie bly mm, um yeah. and she was an undercover investigator i think she was probably one of the first deeply undercover investigative reporters there ever was Mm -hmm. um but that's you know one person and all of her editors were male you know there there were no big newspaper editors at the time who were female so we you know we work with what we've got which is why it's very exciting that you you know the library of congress librarians had all of those sources right there yeah
1: They, they really did. And a lot of the, a lot, most of it I had to request, but they still had a fairly robust library in paranormal and parapsychology already available. If you wanted to go into the main reading room, which I was impressed because I got my reader card. I was like, you know, I'm just going to browse. I doubt I'm going to find anything. Let's just take a look. And I saw like a whole section on paranormal parapsychology, witchcraft, the occult. I'm like, oh. Oh. Okay, <laughs> I'm like I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna take a look, and I, I found a lot, and um going through their online catalog and seeing what they had and see if it was there, and it was just it was just really neat to see that. Um, yeah, I hear you on the newspaper aspect. Um, I, I think it was Pamela Coleman Smith who drew the tarot cards. Yeah. Um, she tried to start her own newspaper publication, and because she resented. The publishing industry in london at the time and i mean totally it's like history is told by the victors and um i think one of the final straws for me to write the book was when um as a content creator sometimes i'm asked to review books um mm-hmm. or you know give give feedback on books or post about books you know in exchange for a free copy this book was written by a new york times bestseller and uh it, it's a very fun looking book there's a lot of great illustrations and it basically goes through like the history of the paranormal Lorraine Warren's mentioned it and I'm like okay I was looking through the index and I was specifically look I was looking to see one are they covering poltergeist yes poltergeist is covered I'm like okay fantastic then I looked for Catherine Crowe's name in the index nada no mention of Catherine Crowe's name in the index so I'm like okay I'm gonna read the poltergeist chapter I read the Poltergeist chapter, no Catherine Crow, and this was a book that just came out maybe a year, like a few like a year or two ago, a few years ago. I think it was two two or three years, um, I, and I was appalled. Like I actually ended up not posting about the book because I'm like this this is not a good representation of paranormal history. Um, of course Hans Holzer's in the book, Harry Price is in the book, Peter Underwood's in the book, um. I was very disappointed and um, I even wrote back to the person who reached out to me and I said, listen, thank you for the copy. Um, I actually, I, I have, I have a concern about a particular chapter that's inaccurate um, and it doesn't give credit where credit is due. And maybe that was a bit extreme on my case, but I, I feel like if, if you talk about poltergeist, Catherine Crowe's name is going to come up at some point.
0: Like, even if it's just
1: a one sentence.
0: She, she brought the, the term into English usage hmm so yeah
1: yeah it just it just blew my mind like because night side of nature was a was an incredibly impactful book of its time i mean it went through seven rounds of printing seven editions in such a short amount of time so i mean it was a it's not like this little one book that circulated around different groups i mean this was a book that was very famous and very well known so to not bring that up or even mention it i felt i felt that was a gross overlook like like yeah. that's that's a boo-boo
0: yeah and and you know i can't imagine not being curious as to where that term came from it's very mm-hmm. clearly german yeah i mean i i understand that english is technically a germanic language yes 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 but that is a, a german german word not a not an anglo-saxon word it's it's mm-hmm. very definitely a borrowing and yeah. uh you know if if no one knows anything else about Catherine Crow it's that yeah 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 and 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 that she was running around naked at some point supposedly but she wasn't supposedly. yeah <laughs> I don't, I, I don't I, actually think that's true
1: but I I don't either um, especially when um, I was looking through the 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 records that were released by the UK and I think it was 2018, 2017. They released all the patient records from like from like the 18th century to now, or 1950s, 20th century. Um, when they were releasing all the patient records, and plus the story that she was sent to Holwell is in London. She was in Edinburgh when this when this took place. So I'm like, well, wait a minute. She there was there was Edinburgh Hospital right there. Like she would have been taken. She would have been taken there if This was truly she was getting thrown into the into the excuse the term the nut house her name wasn't i did not find her name i did find a Catherine stevens but at this point she was in her 50s and crow crow was her name yeah Um, and plus the dates didn't quite line up so um so i was like well this doesn't seem to check out at at all so you know but that's just an example of Unfortunately, I hate, I hate to use the word the patriarchy because it makes me sound like people are like social justice warrior feminists, but it truly is. a It was a patriarchal society. Um, and Dick Charles Dickens, who really lives up to his last name. Um,
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: Who really lives up to his last name with the letters. And I mean, that was a that was a crime of passion on his part. That's going to like. Like today, that'd be like going to Twitter and then reaching out to like the National Enquirer and then reaching out to all of these publications like, oh, did you hear? Um, To the point where then it makes it to the New York Times as legit news. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Like that's a lot of effort to put into to discredit somebody like that. So I don't know if this was like a spurned like lover, like rejected person or and i understand the mesmerists and the spiritualists were mortal enemies of the time but still that's a lot of effort to put in yeah like it's it's a lot of effort now even in digital media it would have been even more effort back then with pen and paper yeah <laughs> so yeah. he wasn't yeah. even
0: typing it he was he was yeah
1: i wonder how many times he wrote stark mad and stark naked <laughs> I don't wonder because he used because <laughs> he used that line in almost every letter. Like, yeah, seems like Catherine Crow has gone stark mad and stark naked. Like that was his opening line in almost every one of those letters. Um, and I have to give a shout out to the University of Kent. Um, they have uh the all the letters and the collections related to Catherine Crow, and um, they uh even so, in case anyone's curious and wants to see the collection, and you're not in Kent, um, they do remote appointments that you can see the collection and everything. Um, and they have a really great Twitter or uh, Instagram account where they post everything too. But I have to give a shout out to the university of Kent um, to that re- to the research group there. Uh, Cause they also sent me a photo of her grave of Catherine Crowe's grave. Oh, excellent. Um, and where she's buried and everything. And I'm like, Oh, this is amazing. Um, but yeah. But when I was looking at these letters from Dickens, I was like, wow, that's, that's that's a that's a crime of passion right there that's 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 emotional damage right there yeah that's that that's something deeper than just mesmerists versus spiritualist like there's something deeper happening there
0: as many as many of those letters as he wrote Mm -hmm. you'd think he'd get bored i don't know
1: i I mean it's classic trolling i mean back it's classic trolling and um it's like, dude, you could have been writing another book.
0: <laughs> yeah, I know, right? <laughs> you you could get been paid for that book. too, right?
1: Right, right. You're not getting so, paid for this. Yeah, so that whole thing doesn't necessarily make me mad anymore, but it's one of those things I look at and um and I had quite a conversation with the researchers at University of Kent too with the whole like, "Hey, do you actually think she was, you know, sent she was put in into an institution?" And they're like, "Well, you know they, they don't quite answer affirmative yes or no because there is a certain narrative about Catherine Crow that still very much dominates academia and the research field which is unfortunate um yeah so I can understand why I didn't get a direct answer about that because it's like hey I'm writing a book and you know <laughs> yeah. had, they wanted to be careful but um yeah it's very because I because I asked them point blank I said do you have any proof or records that she was institutionalized um, because if she was and I wanted to mention in the book of like hey yeah this actually did come up or this may this actually did happen but I couldn't really get a direct answer about that and of course then you know I looked through the records and I couldn't find Catherine Crow. so um, and Scotland and Scotland and um, Britain and you know Britain are still they're not it's not like having to go through two different countries technically it's not like i'm trying to correlate records between england and france it's scotland and england are still you know pretty pretty intertwined in terms of records and such so yeah
0: that doesn't excuse it in other words that's not why you didn't find it
1: nope does (laughs) isn't
0: yeah that's that's one of the really exciting uh episodes in in and the colorful stories that are in this book but there's just so many and some of it you you get a sense of well this is history that's no longer hidden we've found this there's still mysterious bits and pieces as you go along mm-hmm. um it, it's and it's fascinating so you've got what 50 more women lined up something At like least. that
1: at least um my goal is to do 35 for the next one you know keep i'm gonna have a clean number um and actually i'm hoping to have that one (laughs) um i'll hopefully by march 2024 for women's history month because that was the original goal with this book but then um as you know barbara because i was talking i was venting to you about it you know i started with 12 women but then i kept finding more and i kept finding more and I was yeah. I couldn't decide I won I couldn't put a stake in the ground of when to stop for this. Book. Right. And I and um, I couldn't decide who to use so that 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 ended up being a very huge speed bump for me. Um, mm-hmm. It was very much a, OK, I'm definitely not going to have this done by March because it's no longer 12 women. It's going to be 38 women. And this is a lot. I mean, granted, some of the women, like some of their chapters are only two pages long because that's all I could find. Um, uh, Jane Barlow was one that I or yeah, it was Jane, uh, not Jane Barlow. It was. Um, oh, my gosh. Oh, 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 Jesse Adelaide Middleton, that one. Um, she put out several books about. Um, especially Victorian and Edwardian um, perspective of spirits, um, ghost stories. That was really fascinating. I'm like, okay, this is, she's kind of like Hans Holzer, like with all of the writing that she did, I couldn't find a picture of her, but I could find countless newspaper articles like praising her books, which is remarkable back then Um, almost universal positive feedback. But again, I couldn't find a picture of her, but she did exist. But, and I only know, I, can, I only know just a little bit about her, but I'm like, she definitely should still have a place in this book because this is pretty remarkable. Um, so, so yeah, so it just, it became really difficult, but yeah, so this, so volume two, I'm putting a stake in the ground, 35. I'm pretty sure as I'm doing more research, I'm going to find probably a few more for volume three. Um, and then hopefully hopefully depending, because I'm not going to find I'm not going to say like I'm going to do every woman that's ever existed in paranormal history I I, maybe maybe this could be like my annual little side project but um (laughs) I would like to I would like to combine it all into one like power tome um Mm -hmm. Amy Bennett used that word like power tome I'm like you know and combine all three into one huge book and you know and then just keep kind of keep going and You know like i said maybe this will be my little side project project that i put out annually of hey these are cool women i found in history um and and the main criteria of the book is the woman has to be passed you know has to be passed because their stories are technically done Um, right so and sadly you know i'll probably have some more contemporary women i'll be adding to future volumes it's not it's i mean volume one has linda godfrey rosemary ellen guiley and lorraine warren very recent um you know as these other women who are alive today um as they you know pass on they'll be added to the book as well um some of them won't be joyous additions uh you know my my mentor sadly is getting towards the end of her life fighting um, terminal brain cancer um i told her about the book and what what i'm doing with it and I was like, do you want me to add you to volume one? And she's like, no, no, wait until, wait until I'm done. I'll wait until I've passed. And, um, and I actually got a chance to, I got, I interviewed her for the book. So she'll be. Oh,
0: that's excellent.
1: Yeah. I interviewed her. So I, I need to write her chapter up and I need to get it written pretty quickly. Um, so that she can read it and be like, yes or no. Um, so she'll probably be one of the few that gets to contribute to her own chapter. Um. I'm hoping it's going to be a later volume, but right now it may be volume two, sadly.
0: Oh, that's sad. Yeah. But but... it's also excellent that you're going to get to let her look at it,
1: Mm -hmm. read
0: it, you know, and, and comment on it.
1: Yep. And she made a very tremendous impact on paranormal research in Canada. um, Especially with implementing forensics in paranormal research and investigation. um, That a lot of, more higher profile people have kind of taken and ran with it and not given her credit for, um, so this will be, this, this is basically my way of like giving her that credit and saying, Hey, this, she was actually the one doing this before these other people were so, you know, um, and, th- and then, and and that brings up an interesting point. It's like, what these women went through in the past, it's still happening today. It's absolutely still happening today. So it's, some of these women's legacies are still getting buried. Um, I mean Sarah Wilson Estep, that's one that you know, a lot of people don't realize she's the one who brought over the E V P classification right. to America. A lot of people don't know that. Um, so even the more contemporary women are still fighting to not even fighting, but you know, they're still their their contributions are still getting buried. It it it's such a shame. I, I
0: okay. So I just don't understand why it has to continue, you know? Mm. We know better, so let's do better. Why do we still have this, uh, I don't know. It yeah. shouldn't be that way, but.
1: I I agree, um, and I'm I am excited though that the book is getting the attention of some paranormal TV producers. I'm Mm -hmm. hoping maybe it could be I don't necessarily have to be involved with it because I say in the conclusion I'm like hey take this information go do something with it that's kind of like my call to action at the end of the book spoiler alert um but if this inspires like a documentary about some you know paranormal women of history I will be so excited about that
0: that would be wonderful
1: Um, yeah um and I think the attention that this book is getting um like um Andy sore who designed the cover. He was like, Alex, I think this is going to be like a big thing for you. And I'm like, really, really? I'm not sure. Cause I mean, you know, this women have been fighting for a seat at the table for so long. Um, especially with the lack of representation in paranormal media in the entertainment industry, I'm like, really, is it, is it, but I've been really excited about how, um, how how excited people are about the book um and i and i'll be honest i also wrote it out of a need of i want all of the information in one place right um, like i didn't want to keep going i mean there because there have been some amazing researchers who've already started getting the ball rolling um you know amanda woomer allison Jornlin, like they've done some really amazing things to get the ball rolling but i was still finding myself like having to scour like multiple places of the internet. And I'm a researcher. So I mean, I'm like, Okay, I'm happy to do that. But someone else who may not be a researcher, or they're just curious, they they may not put in that effort to find, you know, all these mm-hmm. women. So um, and I, and when I was literally browsing um, my local library, and I saw that there was a lot of anthologies on like women of history. and And I'm like, you know, we don't have this for women of the paranormal.
0: Hmm. we should. We, maybe should we should
1: maybe we should yeah. put it all put it all in one place and um you know and the and the book is very much a um introduction to these women too it's it's very it's i tried to make it a little bit more robust than a who's who um you know just a very high level overview of like hey this is their life these are their contributions maybe some controversy they dealt with um that may or may not have contributed to them getting buried in history but very much a high level overview that to help start that okay i want to learn more about radcliffe hall you know oh okay now that i know that zora neale hurston did do like pretty much create credible research um write credible research in you know voodoo hoodoo and zombies i'm gonna go dive deeper in that so you know, you're not going to get everything you like everything uh, of these women's lives in this book um, because Alexander David Neal has like multiple biographies written about her. I'm not yeah. trying to replicate that. Yeah. It's very much introduction. Hey, here's this cool woman you should check out.
0: Right. But it's all in one volume so yep. that everybody can, you know, go to that volume. Uh, I, I want to know about famous women in the paranormal world. Oh, well, there it is in one volume. You don't have to scramble around. It's like, cause if you ask someone and you know, I don't ask Allison. that's not fair. Allison Jordan Lynn and Amanda Woomer, you can't ask them because they already know a bunch of them. Right. But if you just ask an average person mm-hmm. who maybe watches ghost hunter shows or something, or listens to a podcast now and then,
1: mm-hmm.
0: who are they going to mention Lorraine Warren,
1: i mean i'm sitting here
0: going maybe the fox sisters no probably not probably not
1: no um yeah no um because even even rosemary ellen guiley isn't well known outside of the paranormal circle which breaks my heart by the way oh she Um, was
0: amazing she was such a good writer
1: right and right and
0: she 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 was encyclopedic Mm -hmm. in her writing i mean she wasn't just well there are vampires and then there's there's here's a vampire story from here and a vampire story from here and that's it no that thing is thick (laughs) and it's not stuff she made up that's stuff that she went out and found and wrote about and wrote about elegantly as well
1: Mm mm-hmm yeah um I think when I was talking to her husband, Joe, I, I was asking him, I said, okay, so what's the actual book? What's the final book count here of how many she wrote? Cause I know her obituary says 65 and he, he thought for a minute and he's like, you know, I think it might've been closer to 85. And I'm like, wow, that's incredible. Um, what I think what really drove me to finish the book and my passion about it was I was talking to John Zaffis about Rosemary cause they were very close. Um, Rosemary was fighting to break the glass ceiling for women in paranormal entertainment for so long. I mean, she was consulting on these shows, but she didn't, she never had that place in front of the camera. Um, She finally got that chance with paranormal caught on camera, but then she got sick and she said, and she, as she said uh, something she said to John, like, I finally got my chance and now I can't, I can't, I can't do it. And that broke my heart. Um, That's
0: so sad.
1: It's so sad. She deserved, better. She deserved way better. Um, and that's another one who, not as controversial as, Hel- as Helena Blavatsky um, or questionable, uh, but she's another one who wrote so much and contributed so much research that people use. And I yeah. don't think they realize they it's Rosemary, like that yeah. came from Rosemary. Um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, that's, so that's, that's another one that I think, Rosemary is another one that I think her legacy is going to continue to ripple and pulsate for the next several decades. Um, and in probably inspire other beliefs and methodologies, and it's all going to go back to her. I, I think yeah. I think that's another she's another one that will end up really, really helping future generations. Um, but again, if, if you're just watching, like you said, watching the TV shows or listening to a podcast, you're probably not going to know her name, which is a shame.
0: Yeah. I mean, I know her name because I used to have a metaphysical bookstore, so you know, oh, I you probably I kept, had a whole section on her. <laughs> I kept, I kept a lot of her books on the shelves, so mm-hmm. yeah. And uh, so, are you going to do any uh, UFO, ladies?
1: Yes, I do. I, I do. Um, I I'm not that well versed in the UFO world, so that's one that, um, if I were to di- if I dived into it in a volume one, volume one probably wouldn't come out until next year. No.
0: I, <laughs> I agree with that. That's definitely <laughs> true. Yeah, it is true.
1: The closest I got who orbited around it was Mary Heyer. That was like the mm-hmm. closest I got. You know, she did a little more than orbit around it. But um, yeah, I do have plans for uh, women in the UFO world. I also want to dive more into cryptozoology too. I mean, I had mm-hmm. Linda Godfrey, but I'm like, I need a little i i want a little more diversity in that because then i then volume two i'm probably going to separate them into parts of like cryptozoology um you know ufo parapsychology paranormal research um, and i also want to include more international women if possible mm-hmm. um i gibo that's another delightful discovery
0: oh um, i loved that chapter i loved yeah. that chapter
1: yeah, and you know, she had her share of like people calling her out or controversy too, but I'm like, she I I this is a hill that I am hesitantly willing to die on, um because I'm pretty sure this is the case, but I'm not 100%, it's like 99.9%, but I'm pretty sure she really helped establish paranormal television as it is today. Like when you go and mm-hmm. watch her her TV segments back in like the 80s, they're oddly, they oddly resemble modern day paranormal television like it's very interesting like the format is very similar the way the shots are and i mean you know a lot of media it it takes inspiration from others so i wouldn't be surprised if because this was a huge hit in japan Um, i wouldn't be surprised if there was a producer in america that saw this and was like hmm hmm we could do something with this you know um So like I said, I'm 99.999% sure like she kind of got this started. But um, yeah, but she's also but she's another one that gets erased often. Like she's the reason why people bring dolls to Mary King's close. Like she's the reason. That, that, that was Aiko Gibo, Um, but she only gets credited as famous psychic. (laughs) Wow. And it's not even like that she was female, but also she was a woman of color. She was a Japanese woman who Mm -hmm. discovered this. Um, and luckily Mary King's close. They're doing, they're doing pretty well in like making sure to say her name. Um, Mm -hmm. but anytime I do see someone, you know, talk about the story, I'm like, Hey, if you didn't know that psychic's name was Aiko Gibo. Um, so and that one I, I kind of found by accident um, I was doing. I If you all go on my YouTube channel and you see I did a video on Mary King's Close, um, so I was doing research on Mary King's Close and I kept seeing famous psychic, famous psychic, a famous psychic identified Annie and Annie. Annie likes dolls. I think it was Annie. Um, and I'm like, OK, well, who's this psychic? I need to know who this is. Like, are we talking Sylvia Brown? Like what? Uh, you know, right, I really I right. really wanted to figure out who it was. I had to dig deep into like previous social media posts, newspaper articles. Like I had to get on, I mean, I had to use my newspapers.com account. Um, I was like, okay, the story came from somewhere. Like it really, it has an origin and then I found it. I found her name in um, like this little little box in an Edinburgh newspaper from like the nineties. And I'm like, Aiko Gebo, that sounds Japanese. Google Aiko Gibo, Holy cow. <laughs> you know? I know
0: when I got to that chapter, when I was editing, I'm like, oh, who? Oh, wow. This is awesome.
1: Right, right. And Japan has a very interesting relationship with its beliefs in the afterlife and the paranormal. Um, it's, you know, it's interesting depending on who you talk to. Um, and i'm a quarter japanese so i'm this is a vested i have a vested interest in this too but it seems that you know for aiko gibo to be such a famous psychic i mean she really helped like normalize beliefs in the paranormal and japanese beliefs in the paranormal in the afterlife um still quite terrifying like i i um book is since, is since out of print. So I, I had to like order from a used bookstore for like 30 bucks, but I was like, oh, you know, it's worth it. It's, it's fine.
0: Right. Yeah. Um,
1: it's, it's fine. Uh, you know, it's one of those things like you put, you invest, you have to do that sometimes. And I remember like getting chills reading her book, um, like just getting really creeped out about it. Um, but also the fact that she is probably one of the earliest people to really advocate, hey, treat the spirits with respect, you know, treat them like human beings. And I'm like, "Huh? Okay. You know, it's just like I got I got a woman here in the 90s saying like, "Hey, we should be doing this." And I found myself agreeing with her a lot. Um but yeah, it's she she did a lot for, you know, the the perception of the paranormal in Japan. Like quite she did quite a bit with that. Um I mean, she had a segment on daytime and evening television. Like yeah. it's like okay, Aiko Giba's at this. She is at this location, and let's 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 take a look and see what she did. Um, yeah. So I mean, this wasn't just like doing the Montel Williams thing. She was like on actual Japanese news programming doing this. So that's that's, that's pretty incredible. That's really
0: impressive. Yeah, really impressive. And I'm sure that there are producers of paranormal TV in the United States and the UK and other western countries who have seen those segments Mm -hmm. because that's what producers and directors and filmmakers do they look at everybody else's stuff and it inspires them to move forward i mean uh kurosawa's film the seven samurai Mm -hmm. became the magnificent seven and if you watch them back to back you can tell i mean it, it I'm not saying that. Oh, it was stolen. It wasn't stolen. It was inspired by, mm-hmm. and but it it is fun to watch the two together. And so I'm I'm wouldn't be surprised if they took some ideas for how to shoot various um, angles and and you know how to how to make it look spookier or less spooky mm-hmm. or you know all of that.
1: Yeah, it's funny. I mean- the format, like you had the history of the location, you have her doing a walkthrough and telling, talking about what she's picking up on. And then you have the resolution where she, you know, crosses the spirit over or gets them to leave. And I'm like, this is, this, this, this is it. Like, this is what she, this is what we do today in paranormal programming. Um, You know, there were these episodes, these segments were probably about 15, 20 minutes long. Um, She did have some specials as well. she did have some like TV specials too, where she would have like her own like um, episode. Um, there were a lot of the, a lot of them were like exorcism based and, you know, Japanese, Japanese met- methods of like exercising spirits is vastly different from, you know, what mm-hmm. Western, what the Western world looks and considers. Um, so I'm not talking like crosses and Catholics. No, and, no, <laughs> you
0: know. no, you're talking about Buddhism and Shintoism is, yep. And, and those are extant living religions mm-hmm. and yeah, they have yep. their specific methods of doing yep. things. So,
1: yep. And, uh, it was just really interesting. I'll, I'll send you those, some YouTube links, Barbara, so you can take a okay. look, but you'll, you'll probably think the same thing. It's like, huh, this reminds me of, I mean, not even like, or I want to, I don't even want to say early ghost hunters. It's like, no, this is, this is now like mm-hmm. totally now. Um, I mean I mean god I mean what's another example of a of America taking something from Japan but like Power Rangers?
0: Yeah. You know Power Rangers yeah. that's
1: another one. Um even in horror uh you know The Ring and Ringu um, Yeah. The Ring and Ringu I mean that's basically a shot for shot replication. I mean it with is. permission. Not necessarily stolen with permission but uh um, yeah. I mean that's shot for shot like that's you just you just put a blonde woman in the lead and
0: Yeah <laughs> and there we are. <laughs> there, there we, we are. go. Yeah. <laughs> well and and Godzilla you know you can tell the difference between a Japanese Godzilla movie and an American one Mm -hmm. I prefer the Japanese ones but me too me too (laughs) you know uh yeah so when you were working was there ever a point when you were you know researching and writing that you were just like this is so overwhelming how how many more women am i gonna you know i feel like you must have been as you were researching and writing things down as you said you kept finding more names so when did you just finally go no i'm these 63 the however many there are 68 these are the ones because i remember you asked me if i could find three we could cut and i was like oh and i didn't help you with that did i no <laughs> <laughs> no, I did not because they were all so interesting.
1: They're all fascinating. Um, yeah, I have to say it was probably after my research appointment with the Library of Congress, which, <laughs> yeah, well, because I was so overwhelmed and I thought, okay, um, I, 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 I really was like, I have to put a stake in the ground. But yeah, it was also very overwhelming, too, because I also had to really figure out like what I needed to cut from the stories, too. Uh, Because I'm like, is this important for what I'm trying to talk about? Like, Alexander David Neal's legacy is so robust, but I'm like, okay, I'm only focusing on how this affects the paranormal field. Right. I don't have to go into you know, her time in opera and, you know, working in Rome as like a theater owner. And, you know, yeah. I, I don't, I don't have to go into that. I can just mention it in passing, but I don't have to go into that sort you know, that information. Right. Same thing with Zora Neale Hurston. She was a very difficult oh, chapter goodness. to write. Yeah. Um, very difficult because, you know, one, I'm also writing outside of my space. Um, so I wanted to make sure, and I did have a, a, a sensitivity reader read, you know, read the the chapter on Zora because I was like, I really want to make sure I'm not marginalizing her or making her seem something that she's not. I want to be respectful in the way that I'm addressing, you know, addressing her um, and the community. Um, But she was also very difficult because to write because she did so much. And she was also a controversial figure herself in a sense because she was a very proud Black woman, mm-hmm. very proud, and she ruffled feathers. And I, I feel like, you know, man, we probably would have been friends. Um, <laughs> there yeah, yeah. There's a few here. There, I was like, yeah, we would be friends. And there was a few. I'm like, I don't know if we would have gotten along. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know if I would have gotten along with Ada Goodrich Fair. I'll just be honest. Um, yeah. But, <laughs> um, but yeah. So she was also very difficult to write because. And that, that was one where I, I, cause her chapter used to be much longer, but I'm like, do I really need to go into details about her literary career? No. Cause the important thing is tell my horse and mules and men. Like that's, that's, that's the meat right there. Um, Rosemary Ellen Guiley, her chapter was 10,000 words originally. Yeah. That's a book. Someone just putting it out there, not saying it's going to be me. Someone could write a bio on Rosemary absolutely um yeah and the other interesting thing that came up that didn't make the book but um kevin paul and lisa crick um believe that rosemary's made contact with them since she passed um
0: oh that's interesting
1: oh yeah i'll, I'll send you the the original so you can read the stories um and I was talking to Lisa about it, and I said, you know, she did so much research in this area, she probably didn't have to tra- transition. Like, she probably didn't ha- – or she didn't have to – it did- probably didn't take her very long to adjust yeah. to her new state of existence. And, um, yeah, Kevin, Paul has seen her in dreams. Um, wow. She's come through on the spirit box with Lisa. Um, there's a lot There's a lot there. And I, I originally had all of that, but I'm like – is this important? It's it's fascinating. But one I can't prove it into is it I don't know if it would add to her chapter. It's like this is a nice it's a nice epilogue. You know what I mean? Like in her biography, right. this would be a nice epilogue or a last nice final few chapters of how she's still mentoring and educating people in the afterlife. I'm like that would be a nice epilogue there. Um, So I cut that 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 was hard. That was hard to cut because I'm like, yeah, oh, it's that's so It's so fascinating. It's so fascinating. But again, I'm like, it's just what is this going to contribute in the book? Uh, And because then it would turn the book into something that it's not. Um, It it would turn the book into something different. So yeah. um, But you know, I but I kept every I kept all the interviews that I kept it all I kept all the notes because I'm not gonna cut I'm not gonna delete anything.
0: No, Um, no.
1: But um, yeah. So it, it was hard though. Like, and I, it's not that I almost gave up, but I had to give myself permission to postpone it if I needed to. Mm-hmm. Um, the goal, the, the, at the, the end, the, the hard goal though, was Halloween. It was, or at least October. I'm like, okay, if you're going to push this again, it has to be out by the fall. Like you gotta stop somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Um, you gotta stop somewhere. Um, because or I would hit roadblocks like I hit a lot of roadblocks with a couple of these women that I really wanted to put in this chapter in this volume, but I couldn't because the research is going to take much longer. I mean, there's there's there was a lot of tears with this book um, for good, but good, but for good reasons. Um, there was a lot of tears, though it was like I am so overwhelmed right now and I have anxiety. So and I tend to catastrophize quite a bit.
0: Oh, so, oh, yeah. Yeah. So it was it was a
1: struggle. It was a struggle sometimes. Um, Or I would hit roadblocks with other researchers that I was talking to. And they're like, you know, I don't want you to put that in or it's not and this is where I really learned how to work with other historians like, um, like personal opinion versus, you know, other things. And so and I'm like, Wait, but I like these people, I want them to keep liking me. So what should I do? And, um, but on that note, I have to say Tim Prasol was probably the chillest person to talk to because a lot of his a lot of his research gave me a good foundation as well. So he's another one that really deserves a shout out there. Because um, I sent him several chapters because he was help he really helped springboard a lot of these chapters. And I'm like, I want to make sure you're properly credited because um, that was a big thing. I want to make sure everyone was credited for what they did because you know it's that's important. Yeah. And Tim was like you know what? I'm happy to share my resources. You don't even have to credit me. Just here's my sources. And I'm like, really? <laughs> I'm like, You're amazing. Um, but he but he also gave me really great feedback um, with the chapters too. So he was so wonderful to work with. And um, and he was one, he was like, I'm really excited to read your book. And I'm really excited to add to my own library. Because he has a whole Ghost Hunters Hall of Fame on his website. Um, and he's like, I'm really eager to add more to the Hall of Fame. And I'm like, oh, thanks. Um, but that was the other thing pressure. I knew there was gonna be a lot of like eyes on this or at least eyes from mm-hmm. people that I really I value their opinions tremendously like Amanda Woomer, Tim Preisel. Um, I know S- some SPR members were eye in this because they were like, well, because I was using a lot of their sources and research. Right. Same thing with ASIP. Um, With the rosina despard uh chapter christian romer was a bit one of my main sources and i sent him the chapter too because i'm like hey this is a lot of your research here um but i was just really i was just like man i have there's a lot of people i respect who are watching this book and so um that pressure was also (laughs) quite crippling sometimes
0: yeah yeah because that can cause all sorts of second guessing as you're writing
1: yeah, and the, the imposter syndrome was real.
0: Yes, yeah. yes. The worst thing for me when I'm writing something is to have the editor that exists in my head and sits on my shoulder watching me write and then giving its opinion as mm-hmm. I'm going. So with my first drafts, I just try to push everything out without this over here on my shoulder going... That's bad sentence construction yep <laughs> why are you saying it that way The yep. subject and verb do not agree <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you, shut up over there I'm just trying to get it on the page yeah I love rewriting because it's mm-hmm. already on the page and I can then put style into it but I do understand that if you if you get that pressure it and you start working and then the anxiety starts coming up and you second guess and it's terrible
1: yeah yeah it it is and um and there was a couple of researchers who reached out to me saying like hey would you mind sending your notes or you know hey i'm, I'm looking into this person this woman um and i'm like yeah I'm, i mean i'm totally fine sharing my notes too just i mean i took a page out of tim preysol's book it's like yeah here you go um and then i would see their write-up on the same woman and i'm like Oh, they did it better than I did. Crap, <laughs> you know. <Yeah. laughs> like they wrote that way better than I did. Um, so that that contributed to the imposter syndrome too, because I was like, ah, oh, man, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I was like, ah, oh, man, they they spun gold out of what I sent them. <laughs> <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I
0: understand that. That's and that's <laughs> that's hard.
1: Yeah. It is. And at the end of the day, again, I had to go back and give myself permission to say like, you know, it is what it is you got you have it written. It's, you know, to your eyes, it seems okay. So we'll just, you know, let's just get it. Let's just keep it keep it going. Um, and, you know, volume two can always be better, you know, it can be an improvement, mm-hmm. the lessons learned. And then I can always the beauty of self publishing, I can go back and fix things too, if I need to, I can I do a second edition. Say. And if you
0: ever put it into one big volume, you can rewrite mm -hmm. as you go.
1: Yeah. You know. Yep. Yep. So that's, so that's the other, so it's very much um, where I work. We, we have this philosophy of one way door decisions and two way door decisions. Um, And I'm like, okay, this, this book does have two way door opportunities. So. Right. Yeah. Right. So, you know
0: explain that for the for the listeners what a one way door and a two way door
1: yeah so a one way door means once you go through that door you can't get you can't turn back you can't get out
0: right, um,
1: right. and a two way it locks behind do- you it locks behind you exactly and a two way door means that the door opens in both directions so if you go through that door and realize you need to go back and change something you can go back you can go back out that door
0: um, right
1: it stays open so you can go back right. and forth as you need Um, and that's been a, that's, that's been a big driver in my decision-making in my life since I started working for this company. So, um, I'm like, is this a one-way door decision or a two-way door decision? You know, (laughs) it's a, it's a good way to look at things. Yep. It helps, it helps the anxiety a little bit, um, a little bit, (laughs) it helps.
0: Yeah. (laughs) The struggle is real with anxiety. Pretty much everyone in my family has it. So, yeah.
1: Yep it's yep. fun <laughs> yeah at least
0: we don't all go off at the same time you know there's always at least one or two of us who can it's okay it's okay calm breathe breathe use your mm-hmm. skills do the things yes Yep.
1: yep. <laughs> i had many event sessions with um amanda woomer and uh michelle hamilton um and Michelle has her master's in history. So whenever I was like encountering some sort of block, I was like, I need help. What do you think? You know, <laughs> like, Right. <laughs> I'm like, I'm having a really hard time with this. Um, yeah. So, and Amanda Woomer was a great sounding board too. When, um, I would run into some issues, especially if those blockers were due to the patriarchy. Um, I was like, yeah. dang it, I got another roadblock. Um, but the, the chapter on Helen Peters-Nosworthy, that was kind of almost a team effort a bit because Amanda was also covering Helen in Feminine Macabre, Volume 5. In
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, every volume, she features a, a woman of paranormal history. And um, so it was Amanda Woomer and also Robert Murch who was the one who found Helen. Um, so it was kind of this like, this woman, after she got married, she dropped off the radar. The most I could find really about like that even mentions her name is her husband checking into the Denver hotel like every other week because he was a salesman. Um, so so that so I would say so when Amanda found something, she'd be like, hey, have you seen this? And if I found something, I would send it to her. So it kind of turned into like this odd email chain of like, hey, I found this. Hey, this might be something. Hey. Hey. I got a yeah. hint here. Um, I used Ancestry a lot with this book, by the way. Yeah,
0: Ancestry dot used... com is way more useful than you think it is.
1: It's it th- that helped me fill in a lot of blanks, especially about Helen Peters Nosworthy, who was the woman who named the Ouija board, which right. also has subtly, I think, a feminist nod in there to. Um, anyway that's a whole other story for another time but um the, the Ouija board may have some really strong feminist roots that's a subtle nod but anyway nice um oh yeah it's pretty cool um yeah so Ancestry helped fill in a lot of those blanks Ancestry helped me a lot with Lorraine Warren's chapter two um and this is on Ed's headstone so I don't feel bad mentioning it but you know he was born as Warren Edward Miney mm-hmm. and because uh, initially I couldn't find much on Lorraine Warren but that's because Lorraine Warren was Ed and Lorraine Warren. That was pretty much their stage name, um, right? Which I mean, I get my 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 real name has four is four names and it's ridiculous. So I, t- I totally understand it. Um, and from a publicity standpoint, Ed Warren sounds way spookier than Warren Miney. Um, You know? Yeah, it, it's, yeah, yeah. It's better. Um, but once I figured that out, because I had to if you ever run into Roblox and genealogy, look at the headstones. Cause I'm like, wait a second. Miney. Hmm. Type, type, type. Oh, there we go.
0: <laughs> there so, she
1: is. We found there her. She, there she is. Um, so I was able to really dive into Lorraine's story quite a bit in, in, a, in another, in a different way of like her family and everything. Um, so, but ancestry, ancestry saved me a bunch of, time and research and historical documents scanned in um yeah that that was a great resource too newspapers.com ancestry.com library of congress archive.org internet archive
0: that's a great oh my gosh
1: that gave me so much access to so many different books um sarah wilson at STEP who i mentioned earlier she did write a couple books on evp um Those books are out of print, way out of print, like a hundred bucks. If you want to buy a used copy. Yeah. I found a copy on archive.org, but it was in French, but I also speak French. So I was like, yes. (laughs) Um, well, I speak, speak French meaning I can find where the bathroom is and I can tell you how to get to the Eiffel tower. Um, then I can carry on casual conversations, but I read it way. I I can read it. Like I can read French and I, I understand it. Um, and then push comes a shove. If I was really stuck, I would use Google Translate, you know, and use the camera feature, and it would translate for me. Um, you got to be resourceful when it comes to stuff like that. Yeah, but um, it's
0: so much easier than it used to be. It's because so much easier. We have
1: Google Translate. Yep. Yep. Because um, I've been doing features on my social media about all these women too, and a lot of people were interested in Sarah Wilson Estep's book. And I'm like, if you got a hundred bucks go for it. (laughs) Um, If not, then get your Google translate ready and you can, you can read it in French on archive.org. I was curious as to why the French copy made it to archive.org and not the English, but you know, um, you know, that's, that's just because someone with the English copy hasn't scanned it in yet. Yeah. Um, I was
0: about to say the, the French copy got scanned. That's
1: yeah, that's exactly how it happened. that's, That's how it happened. Um, but yeah, so there's 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 a lot of avenues there with research and um, just, yeah, the libra- librarians I talked to, the researchers at University of Kent, Ancestry. Um, I also had to rule some things out with Ancestry because, you know, some people like to make their own family trees and then they're just pulling photos from the Internet. And I'm like, wait, they're not related to them at all. Uh, um, I did find some kin of lorraine warren who were very you know who were willing to share some stuff with me too that i was like oh this is cool um that weren't like john zaffis or or her grandson chris mckinnell or judy um spira uh so it was it was, it was interesting to just kind of learn more about lorraine as a person um, right rather than um ed and lorraine warren you know it was it was interesting to learn more about her and um And that was, and that was also when I realized, you know, after Ed passed, you know, she really continued to do the work and she did get some of her own individual autonomy. But then when The Conjuring came out, it was back to Ed and Lorraine Warren. Yeah. So, which I was like, oh, that's interesting. That's actually a little interesting to, to look at and consider. So regardless of how you feel, uh, regardless of how you feel about her, you know, it's, she still did something fairly significant in her, in her career. Yes, yeah, she did.
0: She definitely did that. So what is, what is the thing you want people to take from the book and what do you think the book is going to give when people read it?
1: Mm-hmm. Um, I want people to walk away with knowing that Paranormal history is female history. It's women's history. Um, These women have always been there. They either had seats at the table or they were building their own chairs or they built the table and chairs themselves.
0: I was about to say, yeah, they built the table.
1: They built, they totally built the table and they built the chairs and then other people came and took, took the table and took the chairs and, but these women kept going. Um, So... They, these women have always been there. Their legacies, whether we know it or not, their legacies still permeate today, and we still carry on their legacies, whether we realize it or not. Um, Catherine Crowe is an example of that. The way that she did her one of the first, probably the first legit paranormal investigation as we know it today, we still carry that legacy, even if we don't know Catherine's name. Yeah. Um, and what this book is doing is it's it's giving a name to the history. It's giving a name to the practice and the methodologies and the theories. It's it's file It's it's naming. It's naming. It's naming them.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's a really good book, people. Thank and you. yes, I did edit it, but that's not why I'm saying it's a good book. I'm saying it's a good book because it's a good book. Um, the stories are fascinating. Um, some of them made me laugh out loud. Some of them made me really mad. Um, some of them made me kind of giggle and then others i was just happy to read th- these names because they're it it is as you said it's important that we remember who people were as people and it's nice to see lorraine warren as a person not as ed and lorraine she's an individual and you know that happened with Eleanor Sedgwick it happened with Louise Ryan. um so it just it just happened but it's nice that that we can look at them as individual people all with significant contributions Uh and uh it is available on Amazon yes
1: yeah yep okay. in paperback and on Kindle
0: okay good and um Tell people where we can find you. I mean, I know where we can find you, but, but tell everybody else too.
1: (laughs) Yeah. You can find me at the spooky stuff. One word on social media on TikTok, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Um, I am sharing um, brief summaries of the women in the book. Um, So if you want to get a little preview of who to expect, you can head over to my social media. I'm about five or six women in. So, you know, I still, I still have a lot, a lot to go. Um, but so far they've been very well received. People are like, oh, I didn't know this person This person did this. Um, so you can also find me on my website at alexmatsuo.com. Um, and yeah, and the book's on Amazon and Kindle. Toying with the idea of a hardcover because I've had a few people ask me about that and I've never done like hardcover books before. So I'm like, well, maybe maybe this is a first. Um, but yeah, so I'm, I'm pretty easy to find. Um, I I accept most Facebook friend requests if you know, people that I know. Um, if you only have one mutual friend, then we you may need to send me a message saying, hey, I heard you on six degrees of John Keel, uh, you know, would, you know, just, just give me a little opening line like that. And I'll, I'll accept. <laughs> Excellent.
0: <laughs> so. Excellent. Well, thank you for coming. And thank yeah. you for uh, trusting me with your book. And thank you for talking about it. I really, there's just so many I mean, we could be here for three hours because I could start picking names and going, and what about this one and that one and that one? Because (laughs) there's just so many. Um, But thank you and uh, have a good evening.
1: Yeah. Thanks for having me.
0: Well, that's all for this week's episode of the Six Degrees of John Keel podcast. If you have any questions or thoughts about the podcast or would like to come and talk about your experiences of the paranormal, you can contact us at 6djk67 at gmail.com. We promise to even answer you, and we are always happy to hear from you. Thank you.